Today I was graced by royalty when Her Majesty, the Queen of Ladonia, Carolyn Shelby, visited the Arsnake Show. Carolyn and I discussed the background of micronations, how they differ from nation-states and microstates. We also discussed some of the more interesting aspects of running a micronation, some of the history of other micronations, how they're created, diplomacy, and what kind of person wants to build one. We also touch on sovereign citizens and camouflage passports. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Her Majesty, the Queen of Ladonia, Carolyn Shelby. Hello and welcome to the Yarsnake Show. Season 5, as a matter of fact, I have Her Majesty, the Queen of Ladonia. Yes. Hi. <laughs> Hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I am great. I'm great. Welcome to season five. Thank you. A Co- couple of quick things. Uh, we have some new decor here and Chris was very pleased to point out he has a Leonardo DiCaprio's hat from The Aviator uh, presented on stage with us today. I, I feel too old to be in its presence. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. And uh, welcome. A nice Dr. Pepper shirt. Thank uh, you. I'm the most Texas thing I own. Uh-huh. Yes. Well, it definitely fits. It's perfect. <laughs> so uh, before we get started, how do I go about addressing a queen properly? What's the actual etiquette for well, that? The, so the etiquette would be, uh, it's your majesty mm-hmm. upon first greeting and then ma'am. Ma'am. After okay. that. Easy. Yeah, ma'am is good. Easy. Ma'am like jam. Ma'am like jam. Perfect. Ma'am and jamming. All right. Um, well, actually, a sub- follow-on question. How do you go about learning these manners. Is this a finishing school kind of thing or is this a... You'd be surprised what's on the internet. Uh-huh. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. And and prior to the internet, there were, I mean, there's books. So you just, you either have to go to the library or you have to consult. What's a library? It's this place <laughs> that has these paper things. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, Robert, you can look on our shelf and you see yeah. those are called books. Oh, I see. This is a library. I see. Okay. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> You know, actually, I collect old books. Yeah, I, I, I don't like when things get sneakily edited. Uh huh. Yeah. So I like I like to have that. I like to be able to go back and say, no, when I was a kid, this is what this word meant. Look, the dictionary says so. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that's happening more and more. Uh, it is, and that's a kind of a weird thing that we've decided we're I, okay with as a society. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've busted out the 1989 Merriam-Webster mm-hmm. just to say, no, I'm not on drugs. This is definitely what this word meant when I was in school. Yeah. I'm not making that up. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I wonder if there's a way I could uh, make my lawyer create something that says no one is allowed to change anything I've, I write ever again for in, you know, postmortem. you know, you're not, I said this, this is what I said. You can't change it. Yeah. Yeah, there's just so much of that going on these days. It's got to be something. Yeah, protect my my bad language and foul ideas. (laughs) The integrity of what you said, of course. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what we are here to talk about is micronations. We are. Um. And first of all, I'm not sure everyone's going to know what that word even means. Um. So would you mind doing a quick explanation of what a micronation is? So the current dictionary definition is a small self-declared unrecognized state or country um, usually something that mimics or parodies the functions of a quote-unquote real state um, and that's probably the best definition you need it's um, it's people that get together or people that by themselves in their mom's basement decide that you know they're their own country 
Mm-hmm. They declare themselves as such. A lot of them uh, cite the Montevideo Convention that the United States is a party to, but um, not the rest of the world necessarily is. Uh, that convention, I think it was in the 30s. I should know this off the top of my head. Um, basically, it says it goes through this list of the requirements to be a, a recognized state, and you don't need the recognition or the acknowledgement of other governments to meet those requirements. So naturally, everyone wants to glom on to that. Mm-hmm. But the requirements were a permanent population, um, a government capable of maintaining and performing bilateral relations. Uh, and there were, I think, three other requirements. Um, but yeah, so basically, it's a teeny tiny country that nobody else agrees exists. That sounds horrible. (laughs) That definition might come back to haunt you, but... It's definitely uh, (laughs) going to come back to haunt me. But, uh, well, how are they born in general? How does someone start a micronation? Well, I mean, technically, to start a micronation, you stand up and say, I declare myself sovereign, and boom, you're a micronation. Mm. Um, There are some micronations that are a little bit more, you know, real, than others in terms of they've got more people that are participating, they've got maybe defendable land, they've got permanent populations. Um, Some have varying degrees of functionality where they might be getting some level of of recognition from macronations is what micronationalists call real countries. <laughs> so you've got your micronations and you've got your macronation. Sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's varying levels. It's everything from, so like Ladonia has, uh, we've got recorded about 28,000 registered citizens, though none of them live in our borders where we consider them nomadic citizens. Um, Sealand has, I don't know how many citizens they have. They have the advantage of having uh, defensible borders and, you know, land that isn't really land. Uh, they've got a old abandoned air force um, platform mm-hmm. in the in the sea, but it's it's defensible and it's defined borders. So they've got they've got that. But then you've got twelve year olds that declare their their backyard its own country. There are people that consider that episode of Family Guy where Peter declared his yard um, Pretoria to be a micronation, though I think that's a stretch because it's, even for us, that's imaginary. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's a very broad definition right now. Would It would be nice if it were a little bit more, if it were more narrow, but that's, uh, that's kind of where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about how Ladonia came to be? What was the sort of backstory there? Okay, so... Um, not like I haven't told this story a million times, right? <laughs> um, so there's an artist in Sweden who was uh, swimming in the sea one day, as I guess Swedes are wont to do, and he ran into a little bit of trouble while he was out there, pulled himself ashore, and when he came ashore, he was inspired to start commemorating his survival by building something, because that's what you do. And what he had handy was driftwood. So he spent the next two years building this driftwood sculpture that grew to be about 75 tons of driftwood is what it's estimated at. It's this huge labyrinth on the, on the side of a mountain. Um, 
And after about two years, I mean, the fishermen knew it was there, but the, um, the local uh, council that kind of monitors and supervises the forest, it's essentially a, a forest preserve type of deal, um, got very bent out of shape and they took him to court. They charged him with criminal, well, they can't charge you with criminal trespass because there's something about free, I don't know the exact name of it, but there's some concept in Swedish law that basically says that you can't prevent someone from walking through your land. So like in America, if I walk onto some farmer's field, he can shoot me. Sure. It's definitely not like that in Sweden. So they couldn't charge him with criminal trespass, but they did charge him with obstructing the public way, which is on its face ridiculous because it's on the side of a mountain where no one goes, um, and building an illegal house. Which he did not live in. Would No one can live in it. If you look at it, you can't live in it. It's clearly not a house. Maybe that's our point. You can't live in that. <laughs> I don't know what their point was. But, you know, instead of instead of backing down and, and tearing it down, because that's what they wanted, they wanted him to tear it down. He's like, no, why don't you take me to court? This will be fun. Because he kind of looked at the, the whole court process as being part of, part of the art. Mm-hmm. He was a, um, a professor of, of art, art history, art theory. So all of this is, is like performance art to him. The court cases dragged on for 10 years and they fought it all the way up to the, the equivalent of the Supreme Court, right? And what it ultimately came down to was that the council didn't handle it correctly. He was acquitted of the criminal charge of obstructing the public way they found him guilty of building an illegal house, and he was fined, I think, what it was the equivalent of a thousand US dollars, which kind of seems like a slap on the wrist. Yeah, sure. You know? um, Except so, for all the time and hassle involved. Yeah. But he thought it was funny. Sure. So <laughs> he was all for it. He's like, this is great. Um, so what happened was he's, he d- decided that basically he had achieved permanent occupation of that land. And the authorities wanted, insisted that he tear the structure down. It's still standing. It's been 40 years. It's still standing. Um, and he said, you know, possession is nine-tenths of the law. This is, this is my land now. You can't enforce your laws on this. I, I occupy this permanently. This is my land. So he and uh, 13 others uh, that formed the, the initial cabinet of ministers got together and declared a sovereign country around the sculpture because that's the land they occupied. That's how Ladonia was born. So what started in 1980, they finally achieved what they considered permanent occupation in 1996. Mm -hmm. And then on June 2nd, they formally declared independence from Sweden. They sent a, a nice little letter to the, uh, to the King and which I'm sure was binned immediately (laughs) um and they they had a little celebration and it was you know it was a thing and Mm. the local newspapers thought it was cute and that that's how it started that is interesting so how how did that go how did that get i mean everyone's like okay you know (laughs) everyone's just shrug and say i guess you're allowed to have a country here no i think it was more or less my assumption is that the authorities are like, whatever. And if we ignore him, he'll get bored and it'll stop, right? But it didn't. Uh, 
people started coming out of the woodwork, local people generally, because this was before it went on the internet. Um, and they wanted, they wanted to be citizens. They wanted to show support. They signed up to be citizens and everybody, you know, started getting together. Uh, Lars, the, our founder, uh, made himself the interim chancellor in the beginning. Once there were a thousand registered citizens, there was a vote to create and ratify the constitution, decide on a system of government. And once a system of government was decided on, there was an election to elect the first queen and the first president. So, I mean, in the, in the span of less than a year, so it's about six months from, from declaration to the election there were a thousand people that signed up mm. there was the vote there was a system of government decided on and, and <clears> the way it went and by what, that what, time what is that system of government on curiosity uh it was constitutional monarchy ba- basically popular monarchy they called it a um a remini which is republican monarchy there's a president there's a queen there's only queens though no kings never kings interesting yeah the uh the logic i guess <clears throat> from what I've read, is that, well, a couple things. Number one, women have definitely gotten the short end of the stick when it comes to monarchies over the millennia. Uh, Passed over for boys, constantly treated poorly, very bad. So the thought was, well, we'll be be very lady-centric and we'll kind of balance the scales of of, uh, fairness. And then the other thought was women tend to be less aggressive and warlike. And if you look in, at history where you've had great queens, there's usually been prosperity and peace. So we'll have a solid, steady queen that sits on the throne as long as she likes or until she dies. And then every three years we'll elect a president and the presidents tend to be guys, but we get rid of them every three years. So Mm-hmm. You don't have any time to really. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> sorry, in Ladonia, does the queen actually have real power or is that more of a statehood thing? Kind of a more like the queen of England which doesn't really control anything. So the queen's role constitutionally is really, I would say it's the way it's defined in the current constitution. It's it. She shares power with the president. Mm. So I don't think I could unilaterally write an edict that would override something the president wants. Um, but I haven't tried. <laughs> Should try just to see what happens. <laughs> Every time. So I do, I, I participate in the the cabinet um, and I vote just like everyone else does. But I've noticed that when I express an interest in something or I, you know, give something a sideways glance, people tend to fall in line with what I want so it's not it's necessi- influence more than power, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know that it, it's it's power per se. It's the opportunity to push things in the direction I want with subtle opinion sure. gestures. <laughs> so, what do you think the romance is of this whole thing? Like, what what do you think brings people like yourself and others to want to be involved in micronations? So, I came to it. Um, because at the time I had, uh, I was running an internet service provider and I had a lot of time on my hands and an internet connection. And this was, you know, 90, 95, 96, well, no. So this must've been 96, 97. I discovered it. Um, our company was in an issue of Wired and 
I found, I think it might have been the Sealand issue, but I started researching Sealand. And that's kind of how I fell down the micronation hole. And then I found Ladonia and they said, oh, hey, we're looking for people to help us develop and develop our government and create our government. And I was in political science at school. So I said, oh, hey, this sounds like fun. Mm-hmm. I'm going to apply to be a citizen. Um, and part of the application is you donate your creativity. So my creativity was a business case on why they should annex Gary, Indiana. And that would be a great place to, you know, make Ladonia West. And it would be wonderful. So it's like a 20-page business case. Um, and they wrote back and they said, we loved your application. Uh, we'll, we're going to grant you citizenship. And would you like to be a cabinet minister? Naturally, I said, well, yes, I would. That mm-hmm. would be fun. So that's how I got into it in the beginning. Um, I think some people are interested in the building aspect of it. I think a lot of people, though, if you think about it, we're all really kind of owned by the systems of government that we're born into. Very few of us have the opportunity to move freely around and find one that we like better. I mean, there's people that have escaped communism, um, but it's really hard to leave the United States. Um, they don't let you relinquish or renounce your citizenship very easily. We all of us have to pay taxes to the government until we die, basically. Um, and I think there's just there's this attraction to having chosen something versus being born into it and stuck. Hmm. So I think a lot of the people that are joining, you know, we're all about free speech. We're all about uh, free expression, free art. These are the, the ideals that we support. And I think people... They're looking for a community of like-minded souls that they can feel like, you know, we all, we all share that, that goal. And I don't know that everyone is getting that feeling from the governments that they're you know, born into. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Everyone has got that kind of pipe dream. You know, I'm going to take my $1 million and buy a, uh, a little place somewhere off in the sea and, you know, run it however I want. And, That's right. Um, so I think it, that there is some sort of sort of Western ideal um, manifest destiny or something. I'm going to, I'm going to go take something over and make it mine and turn, you know, turn my dreams into reality. And I don't even know if it's so much that as they don't, people don't like being told what to do and they don't like being forced to participate in something that they don't like. And I think there's a sense of forced participation now where, you know, the government makes a rule and you have to do it because you're going to go to jail if you don't, um, you know, paying taxes for something that you don't like. I don't have any kids. Why do I have to pay for public schools? You know, there's all, there's all kinds of similar examples to that. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a desire to, it makes them feel better to feel like they're supporting something that is reflective of their goals and their personality and the way they want their life to be rather than, Oh man, I got to go to work because now I got to pay my taxes and you know, look what the government's spending on. They're not even filling the potholes. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's disillusioned with their, with their local governments. And would you say that most people who join micronations have an honest belief that they can fill the potholes, that they can make a better society? I think everybody naturally thinks that they can do it better than the government, than, you know, the current government's doing it. 
And there's a, a growing belief, I think, that trying to change the existing government is pointless. You know, I, I hear that a lot. It's like, well, I could run, I guess I could run for, you know, city council or something, but why? You know, it's expensive. It's a pain. I'm going to be the only one there voting this way. Nothing's going to change. It's a lot of effort for nothing. So why should I try? And, you know, I don't I mean, have, they kind of have a point. Yeah, a I don't bit. I don't have an argument for that. So what is what is the point? So, I mean, this also appeals to people who like world building. I mean, there's this whole oh, yeah. kind of thing around uh, like RPGs, for instance, or, you know, uh, fantasy books, let's say another example of that, where mm-hmm. you can just build an entire world out of nowhere and just imagine and create what the rules would be in this world or, yeah. you know, maybe even what the characters look like, all, all kinds of things. Um, there's a lot of that with micronations, you know, where we're oh, going to yeah. have certain style of dress. We're going to have these certain anthems and, you know, our own money and it's going to look crazy and all kinds of things. Before I joined Ladonia, I remember having a conversation on, it, we called, it was called the Haven. I don't Do you remember coffee talk? Uh, yes, but I don't remember that. So the Haven was, very pre Twitter, pre everything else. Um, but we were all going to pool our money and we were going to get an Island and we were going to go live on the Island and it was going to be awesome. And tiaras were going to be worn every day by all the <laughs> ladies. And we were going to wear togas cause togas are cool. You know, I, th- I think everybody goes through that. You know, you get a little bit of money, you get some friends and you're like, yeah, we're, we're just going to go, go off and do our own thing. Cause that would be fun. Mm-hmm. And then you do Right. <laughs> then you actually did it. And and then, you know, I sort of fell into this. It, to be fair, I wasn't queen for, I, I, I officially was accepted as a citizen in 2000. I didn't become queen until 2011. So I was just, I was just a cabinet minister for a long time before mm-hmm. you know, the opportunity presented itself. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So how does one become a citizen of a micronation? Like what, you just say I'm a citizen and that's pretty much it or well, what are the rules? It depends on the micronation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you want to start your own, you just, yeah, you just make everything from scratch. You write your own passports. You do what you like. Um, if it's an existing micronation, like with Ladonia, uh, you'd go to our website. We've got a little application form that you fill out and your application is reviewed and processed. And if we deem you to be worthy... Then you're assigned a citizen number and you get your your paperwork and voila, you're a citizen. So what, what is that process? I mean, how, what what is the criteria for acceptance? Uh, basically, I, I we, we have to think that you're telling the truth mm-hmm. on your application. Um, we ask people to say why, why they want to join. Do they have anything that they can contribute? We're just looking to make sure that it's someone who doesn't think that they're going to get the a work pass to work in the EU. Um, there are a lot of people that don't understand what a micronation is, and they think that this is going to be a free pass into into Europe, and it's not. So mm. a lot of it is just checking that. Um, there are, I think, people that are looking to build a paper trail to change their names, and we can we can usually snip those out too. So. Um, Generally, we're just looking to make sure that you're sincere and that you are who you say you are. So um, I noticed, um, so your husband mm-hmm. is not the king for obvious reasons. He can't be. There's no such thing as a king. That's right. Um, but what do, what, first of all, what's his title? I don't think I know off the top of my head. I, I 
declared that he would be a prince. Oh, he's a prince. Okay. Yes. Well, right. the, the queen can't be married to All a right. peasant. That's true. <laughs> uh, but I know there's other titles. Um, what did those titles infer or give you? Is that some sort of extra abilities within the, the political sphere? Or no. Just nothing? No. Totally we, ceremonial? It, it's totally ceremonial. It, it's, it's fun. And we wanted to make sure that if you if you want to be a noble, you don't have to rely on an accident of birth or seek someone out who was lucky enough to be born into it and marry them. So anybody can be a noble. It really doesn't mean anything. Um, you don't you don't get. So can anyone be a prince? Come no, on now. No, no. <laughs> There's a cap on how on how high you can go. Uh, we actually took the uh, the dukes and duchesses out of the you can just sign up for it kind of thing because naturally everyone wants that. And sure. that is now solely within my gift mm-hmm. to, to decide. So mm-hmm. it requires a vast amount of butt kissing. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> um, so uh, back to the, like, what does it take to become a citizen? Do you have to renounce your citizenship to become a Ladonian citizen? No. or So you can be a dual citizen Absolutely. Of any nation. There's no nation on the planet that's going to allow you to renounce your citizenship to be a citizen of a micronation because there are rules against allowing people to become stateless. And as the micronations are not recognized as legitimate states, if you renounced your U.S. citizenship, you can't just disappear into the ether. They would that would be statelessness and they're not allowed to. That's like international law. Interesting. So what happens if... So I know um, at least there are some forms in the United States. Have you ever renounced your citizenship? And people have to say yes, but if they, or sorry, they have to say no, because in this context, I guess they couldn't have, even though their intention is to have. I mean, how does that work? So if, if I were to say, I no longer want to be a U.S. citizen, I'm... Well, there's a process you have to go through to do that. You know that, right? I did not know that. So it costs like $6,000. And that's not a guarantee that they're going to approve your application to renounce your citizenship because it doesn't matter where you live in the world, you owe them money every year on your taxes. Until, are, until you renounce? Or? Un, no, until you're dead huh. because they're not going to let you renounce. Like, it's not a thing. Very, They don't want to let you go, and you make too much money for them to let you go. I, I'm sure if you were... <laughs> I'm sure if you've made zero money and you're like, hey, I want to go be a French citizen, that'd be like, give us our $6,000 and have a nice life. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're worth some money to them, I have a strong suspicion they'll be like, yeah, no. I mean, not that I actually want to renounce my citizenship. I like actually for the record, I do not want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. But for, for, yeah, it's definitely for the audience's sake. But um but I am very curious what would happen if I tried, you know, just to, it's one of those I think things. That, <laughs> I think they'd take your money for the application and they'd be like, yeah, no. Mm. And that would be the end of it. I know that there are expatriation fees. Like if you try to take your money, there's, there's even like, there's fines and fees that you have to pay to move your money out of one state to another. I'm pretty sure New Jersey has it where if you try to move to, let's say you want to move to Florida and you want to transfer your bank accounts, they take 10% of your money. My daughter lives in Canada. She wanted to, if she ever wanted to move back to the U.S., she would lose like 50% of everything she has. Hmm. And now she's like, I have stuff now. I don't want to lose half my stuff. Like, Well, I guess you're stuck in Canada. Wow, that's crazy. 
So um, kind of reminds me of a conversation I had with one of the most interesting people I've ever met. He was a, he was a doctor and a lawyer. And apparently he'd made a lot of money, like I think a hundred million on a single case, got 10% of a billion dollar case that he won. And, and he fled to Canada and of course they were after him. They, oh. they definitely wanted, you know, a huge chunk of that hundred million dollars uh, in taxes. And so the years went by and they kept sending more and more people trying to get him. And, you know, and he's like, well, home is where your heart is. And he had all these, you know, he's a lawyer, so he knew how to work the system. And eventually just years and years and years went by. And the, I guess the IRS agent who was involved, the head of that particular case, finally sent him a letter saying, look, I'm retiring. Congratulations. You won kind of thing. And so he actually managed to make it out. <laughs> well, I understand that it is possible to just sort of leave and stop paying into the system, but you you're doing so with the understanding that you can't ever come back. And the funny thing is I met this guy on a flight to Vegas. <laughs> so I clearly, like, I feel like clearly he, he, he's a special, he's case. a special, special person. Yes. Not <clears throat> everyone can do no, that. Yes. Yes. Of course. Still very interesting. So there are Micronation conferences as well. Yeah. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about those? There's there's a lot of them, actually. Um, so the first one I ever attended was called Polynation, which is sort of a, a political nation conglomerate. Um, they're the Emperor of Atlantium, which is in Australia, uh, organized it. This was I went to the second version that he hosted. The first one was in Sydney, and then the second one was two years later in London. So this was shortly after I became queen. It was my first big conference um, as you know, representing the country. Uh, it was a lot of fun. There were 15 or 16 micronations represented. Everybody got to talk. It was in uh, Chelsea Old Town Hall, which was kind of cool. Got a lot of pictures taken. There were uh, professional photographers there that ended up using the portraits in a book. It was super cool. Um, so there's that. There is uh, the Microcon, which I am actually, Ladonia is actually hosting this year. Uh, it meets every two years. The last one, though, was last year <laughs> because of COVID. The, uh, the 2021 got pushed to 2022, so we're getting back on track this year. Um, but we're hosting it in, uh, it's July 1st in Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually in the suburbs. It's in Joliet. Mm -hmm. um, but we say Chicago. Uh, and then a month later, we're going to have the first microcon ever in Europe. So that's going to be in Ypres, Belgium. Um, and I'm probably not saying that right. And I sincerely apologize to anyone I may have offended with my atrocious pronunciation. <laughs> I, I blame my... I, I have a feeling that's going to happen a couple of times in this episode. <laughs> I blame my, my Americanism. Um, so we're, we've, we're hosting two, basically. We've got the one in the U.S. and then we've got the, the second one in Europe. Um, and every, you know, all the micronations are invited to attend. They send delegations. The one in the U.S., after the full day of conferences, we have a white tie gala, which is super fun because everyone gets to wear their, you know, their finery. How often do you get to go to a, a white tie event? Extremely rarely. Right. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's white tie and tiaras. It's a good time. Uh -huh. We have, we get a DJ. You know, that sounds awesome. Fun pictures. So what exactly happens at a micro micronation conference? Like what do you discuss? Um, so a lot of it is introducing other people to your nation, but then there are kind of practical lectures. 
Um, I gave a presentation last year on securing your legacy. So it was making sure that you have you have control and possession of your bank accounts and your intellectual property and your internet accounts and everything is is lined up that you have a will and you have a succession plan that you have a disaster recovery plan you know anything that you might need for continuity so that you don't run into a situation where in our case our you know our founder passed away um and then there's a fight over the bank accounts and there's a fight over or someone some disinterested relative thinks they've inherited everything and they've got the keys to the bank account and now you don't or somebody disappears and they had the passwords to the you know to the internet the website and it just it ruins everything so i went through these are all the things that you have to think about no one wants to think about dying but stuff happens, you know, you get hit by an asteroid, you get hit by a bus, there's things that will happen. And if you want this to continue beyond you, you need to treat this like a business and you need to make sure that you have plans. So that's what my talk was about. Some of the other talks are about um, kind of the psychology of, of what, of the people that get involved with micronations. Some of them are a little bit more theoretical and academic We've had a couple students who are writing their, um, doing like their master's project on micronations. So they'll, they'll talk about what their, their thesis is Mm -hmm. and basically present that to us. We had, um, people talk about how to develop your soft power and cultural diplomacy. I would have to imagine politics plays a pretty big part in like, how do you, how do you get legitimacy in the world? Like Literally, that's, that's got no, to be. A, no one knows how. <clears throat> B, <laughs> no one's done it yet is, is the problem. There are people that definitely believe that they know the magic sauce, but they've yet to prove it. And there are people that are, you get people that want to come in, you know, with their crypto plans and like, you know, make, make my, my currency, my coin that your, your national currency and I'll make you rich. You get those things too. So it's, um, I would, I would love to know what the magic sauce is for legitimacy. However, I do not, I don't know that I necessarily trust these speakers at the Micronation conferences to deliver that, that, that magic formula. Well, so if that's the case, are you just kind of holding on hope that someone will figure it out or is what's your, what's your sort of battle plan in that case? I hope I figure it out <clears throat> to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are a lot of micronations that don't care to try to become legitimate. My, my, my thing with this whole thing is the more I dig into it and the more I look at how politics works and how borders work it all seems very arbitrary. It like, sure is. <laughs> well, <clears throat> there are people that want a borderless society, right? Mm-hmm. Why do we have borders? What do, what purpose do the borders serve? Well, you have to defend them to take care of the people that you have living in your borders. Well, what if those people don't want to live there? Well, they have to because, you know, they pay taxes. What if they don't want to pay taxes? Like any, any reason that is provided, I can say, well, what if they don't want to? Or, well, why? why? Why is it your responsibility to do this? Why, what value are you providing other than taking 40% of their money every year? Potholes. 
No, I, I totally get you. Um, well, if that's the case, I mean, what do you have any ideas on what might work? I mean, is there anything that you're like, wow, this might, this might pan out. I might be able to leverage this. Well, I think there, there's the whole is nationhood defined by a common cultural, you know, a shared cultural experience and a desire to be, um, for, for that shared experience or is nationhood defined by the borders of the land that you live in? So there's that question. And a lot of people define nationhood as a, a shared cultural experience and, and a his shared history. And that's the reason that is used for that's why this land is ours. And that's why, that's why we get to be a state. Um, that, that's certainly how states started anyway. Well, the original yeah. states back when, back when we're, there was like two states, but well, this state and that state were different because the people were different. But but what's the original states <clears throat> and what happened to those? And then why have they changed? And and I mean the borders shift all the time. I think I, in the U.S. particularly, I think we have this idea that every country that's there has always been there, and nothing you know nothing ever changes because these are our borders and this is always the way it's been. But that's not actually the way it's been. Yeah. So. We, we were started in 1776. I'm, I'm reading that book about Belgium right now. Belgium as a kingdom wasn't really an independent kingdom until like 1830. And they didn't decide what their form of government was going to be until 1831. 1831 is really not that long ago in the grand scheme of things. And there's lots of other countries that have kind of popped up and gone away and come back far more recently than that. So the idea that that things can't change isn't accurate. There's, there's gotta be a way, there's gotta be a way to crack, crack into it. It's the UN itself is like, well, you need to be recognized by the UN. It's kind of an old boys network. Well, you, you know, international law has to allow it. The international law doesn't allow this, you know, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, it's an illegal invasion. Please enlighten me. When is there a legal invasion? Like, does that exist? No. So why are we calling it an illegal invasion? It's <laughs> international law is weird. You have to you you have to participate in it to to give it validity. And if you don't want to give it validity, who's to force you to to acknowledge it? The UN recognition thing. The UN is set up to defend the status quo. So if you're a member of it, you're sure as shit not going to want to invite somebody else in unless you have a really compelling reason to invite them in and everybody else has to agree with you. So it's all kind of like a circle of the wagons. We're going to, we're going to protect our own stuff. It's just, so, it's hard to break into it. So out of curiosity, have you ever thought about creating a more inclusive UN? So it's all of the existing countries plus the micronations. I would. Okay. So no, Usually the micronation UN um, falls flat because it's very difficult to, there, there's very few micronations that are established enough to participate. Um, but I don't think we've ever thought to invite the real countries to it. Um, I like people coming to my parties instead of the other way around, right? Yeah, that would be interesting. <clears throat> I'm just curious because at that point, now you're all having the same conversations at the same time. You may not still have the same status you're looking for, but <clears throat> that seems like a doorway to having those conversations with the right people. Well, so I know um, Flandrensis, which is in obviously Flanders, and they're in the Netherlands, or 
No, he, he lives in Belgium. Anyway, Flandrensis uh, became a member of one of the UN committees. So they have observer status with the UN. And most of us think that that's probably our sideways entry into into that realm. But no, we haven't invited the macronations to attend our events, normally because they ignore us. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting <clears throat> if we could make a go of it. Somaliland actually tends to acknowledge um, micronations that write to them. But then when it's brought out in the media that they sent a letter of acknowledgement to a micronation, they walk it back. Mm-hmm. So there are, there are places that you can go, but not everyone, not everyone, not all of the macronations will, uh, will acknowledge your presence. Sure. <clears throat> so which country, you said that at one point in our conversations before uh, that certain countries, certain micronations are treating this much more seriously than others. And you kind of imply that today as well. Do you have any sort of favorites that are doing extremely well that you think kind of are leading the pack? And Flandrensis is definitely, I'm not familiar with that one. Um, they're, like I said, they're in Belgium. Um, they claim a section of Antarctica and they don't want people living there. They're very environmentally conscious. Um, I don't know. You'd have to look it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Niels is uh, the Grand Duke, though, and he is a very nice guy. Is he Archduke? I forget. Um, but yeah, his he set it up as a not-for-profit organization or a club, I think, in Belgium. So he's got recognition as an entity, not necessarily as a nation. Um, and that's how he applied for recognition or or to be able to participate in that UN committee. And I believe it's an environmental UN committee. Um, and he speaks a lot everywhere. Uh, we actually end up at a lot of the same events. So mm-hmm. we kind of hang out. Interesting. Um, so international recognition, what about recognizing them? So for instance, Tibet, um, I know Ladonia has uh, said that they recognize Tibet. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that helps at least some degree if you recognize other countries that are kind of on the fringe. We would be happy to have, you know, engage in diplomatic relations with anyone that would be interested in engaging in diplomatic relations with us, Mm -hmm. pretty much. Um, I know in 2014, there was an article in Israel, I want to say it was in the Jewish Free Press, that, and the headline was Recognize Ladonia, um, and there was a big picture of me, and my mom was my mom was petrified. She's like, someone's going to kill you. <laughs> it's like, thank you, mom. I feel so good now. Um, and th- my friends are like, you, you need to, you need to like tone that down, you know, tell them, tell them it was a joke. And I'm like, no, no, they want to, I will take whatever we can get. I will be very happy. Um, so yeah, I will, I'll take recognition from anyone that wants to offer it. it what, would be- what about like Taiwan, for instance? I don't think China would bomb us. <laughs> you know, that there's this fine line between I, I want to be supportive of everyone, especially the, the underdogs, and I also don't want to get droned. So, Well, it seems that if you're already supporting Tibet, it seems like not a particularly 
long way to go to support Taiwan, right? It's not a long way to go at all, but I think one will get us in more trouble than the other. But I actually, we do, you know, we do. (laughs) Please please don't drone us. (laughs) You heard it here, folks. The queen supports him. (laughs) I'm sorry. Could you repeat that again? (laughs) But the please don't drone us part. Um. Okay, so back to your borders comment for a second. <clears throat> so one of the major things I think the borders are for is to uh, ideally put a place in the sand that says if you cross this line, there's going to be a war uh, unless we allow you to cross this line, right? And so have you thought about border security for Ladonia? Have you thought about enforcing your borders? Enforcing our borders would be very difficult for a, a number of reasons. Um, no one lives there. It's, it's inhospitable. It would be difficult to live there. And it's not. You have an illegal house there. Why don't you just use that? <laughs> have you seen it? <laughs> no, I'm just. It's a I little was, drafty. I was entirely kidding. Yes. And for those who have not seen this thing, it's just, you know, it's all holes. It's 100% it's holes. <laughs> 100% holes. There's no electricity. There's no water. Um, and it's in Sweden, so it's very cold. No, actually, Sweden's not that cold. You'd well, be really on the coastline there so it's it's a coastal temperature which means it doesn't it's not like it's not like chicago where it'll be 80 degrees during the day okay, yeah it's nothing's like chicago so we <laughs> there, there's not these these violent swings of, right. of if it's if it's 45 degrees when you wake up in the morning it's 45 degrees at noon and it's 43 degrees when you go to bed you know it's 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 not it never gets hot but it's never oh my God, my lungs are going to freeze. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's... I probably shouldn't have said that to somebody who lives in Chicago because you, your idea of cold is a little bit different than the average person's. I have literally gone to Sweden during a time when it was like 30 degrees below zero in Chicago and I was dressed like an Eskimo. And I got there and I'm like, oh my God, it's hot. <laughs> I need flip-flops. <laughs> like it was, And they're like, it's very cold. I'm like, oh, no, this is hot. Well, I live in Texas, so I'm a little uh, I, sensitive very, to these massive cold swings. It's but. very nice out right now mm-hmm. in Texas. Mm-hmm. So yes, I was, it is. Yeah, it's very nice. I thought it was going to be surface of the sun hot, and it's yeah. not. So. so what about uh, Sweden invading, quote unquote? They've um, done that before. Um there was a there was a, another sculpture that was there that they decided they wanted removed, and they sent a wrecker in the middle of the night, uh, a boat, and they came ashore and they tore it down and absconded with it. So they've done stuff like that. I don't know that there's a huge. I mean, that seems like an act of war. It was, and we declared war on them. Did you? Yeah. Is there, are you still at war? No, I I officially ended the the very frosty cold war mm-hmm. uh, in twenty. 20- 14 uh because we had declared war on san marino for some reason and Mm. and on the united states oh wow yeah that was one i was like you know i feel like that's a bad idea (laughs) you think yeah (laughs) yeah so um i i made a, a a statement at one of the conferences i read it aloud so that it would get entered into the public record that we were ceasing all of our our war declarations we're not admitting defeat. We're just calling it off mm-hmm. um, because, you know, war, war's unpleasant and there's a lot of war in the world right now. And we just, we, we don't need that 
we don't need that negativity. Mm-hmm. So, but did they come back at any point or are they, uh, were they happy with the dist- single destruction and that was it? Th- that was the single destruction and they, they haven't come back. You know, people, random people try to burn it down. The, the Nimis, the, the main artwork, it's, uh, it's been set on fire a couple times. There was a big fire that burned about a quarter of it, but it's, you have to, so the only way you can get to it is either by boat, and that's only if the seas are glass, or you have to walk. And you have to go up the side of it, a mountain and then down the side of a mountain. And if you want to set that on fire, you have to bring a lot of gas, like a lot of accelerant, because it's wet wood that lives on a beach. It is not inclined to catch. Um, so fortunately, we don't get a lot of people setting it on fire. <laughs> But it's one of those things where... an uncomfortable amount of fires uh, in your nation. (laughs) Anytime you have a structure made of wood that's sitting out unattended, I guarantee you some tourist is going to try to set it on fire. Mm -hmm. um, In Sweden, they have these giant, at Christmas time, these giant like goat things that are made out of straw. And every year, some stupid American tourist will set one on fire. Like, oh, I thought it was like Burning Man. Like no, it really isn't, and now you're never going to get to come back. Congratulations. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but there haven't been. It's it's kind of a tourist attraction now. So the 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 government there, they're a little torn. Some of them want it want it gone. Some of them don't. But it's a protected it's a protected area, so you can't just set it on fire. And there's it would be an effort to tear it down. Like what are they going to do? How do you get rid of it? So how do you, if you don't enforce your borders, how do you even know where your borders are exactly? They're spray painted on the ground. Oh, you have a spray paint on the ground. Okay. Um, have you thought about charging people to see the exhibit or? How would we do that? I don't know. I'm asking you. I, I, it would be wonderful, but there's no way to do it. Hmm. You know, it's, it, it's a public way, sort of, um, you know, it, even on, in low years, it gets about 40,000 visitors you know people go down there they have picnics it's it's pretty they enjoy it but there's just no real good way to to charge an an admission fee unless you caught them like at the trailhead Mm -hmm. and the trailhead is definitely not on our land and that's controlled by the um the landowner and the landowner doesn't like us so i don't feel like there would be an agreement there. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. Are you saying your country lives on someone's land? Well, it's technically public land. Huh. It's, 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 uh, like I said, it's a, it's a forest preserve. So that entire peninsula, I'm trying to describe Swedish geography. That's all right. So it's kind of on a peninsula, right? And it's like here, but a lot of this peninsula was owned by a count and they have a castle that's like right there. So Ladonia is like right here. They have a castle that's right there. For, for the people listening, it's close. <laughs> Very close. Um, and that, that whole area was once belonged to that count. A hundred years ago, something like that, the count's family, there was a thing where like nobles were phased out and it's not, they don't really have power or control anymore. And at that time, they put all of the land that they owned into a trust and the governing body of that trust has some of the family members and then some of the local government officials that sit on the board of that trust. And they own this park-like area. So we sit on land that is a 
park. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I think that would be hard to enforce. Um, We've offered to buy the land that we sit on from them, and they will not entertain that discussion at all. Either because the price point isn't high enough or just they just... They won't give us a price. Mm. I'm pretty sure... I have... I feel good that if they gave us a price, we could come up with the money. And I think they're refusing to give us a price because they're afraid I'll come up with the money. Hmm. Some people just don't want to move. They wouldn't have to move. There's nothing there. <laughs> uh, that's that's true, actually. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a square kilometer. It's tiny. Mm-hmm. Can't build anything there. Like, it's, just let us have it, mm-hmm. you know. All right. Well, maybe we'll get back to that in a minute. But okay. <clears throat> so I want to talk about, you mentioned Sealand a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I think it's worth talking about what they that actually is. Uh, my understanding, as you said, was um, it was a Air Force um, or anti-submarine base or both or whatever, some lookout post. It was able to uh, see. Well, it's like a rig. Yeah, it's able to see ships or things in the water or things flying by or whatever as they, a, as an outpost. They could land air, aircraft on it. They would land aircraft on it. Yeah, uh, helicopters. Mm. Yeah, there's a hel- there's a helipad on the top. It have to be a very 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 uh, maybe like a well, this is World War Two, so this is before Harriers. No, that was, that was only helicopter. It was okay. tiny. It was tiny, but. Um, but the idea was they had a 50 cal machine gun on there and a radio so they could defend it reasonably from any small craft and they could phone in if any big crafts come by or if they see anything going by of note, which was, you know, basically just a military base in the middle of the water. And for those familiar with the region, it's sort of between um, London, if you draw a line between London and uh, like Dunkirk, for instance, um, it's the exact halfway point. It's just a little bit north of there. Um, so that's approximately where it is. So in that in that uh, channel there. But uh, the guys who started it, um, they had a crazy, the guy who started, I should say, and I think his wife, um, they had a crazy ride. They had multiple, you know, people try to, come aboard and the take ge- over the place. There were some Germans that came aboard and held their son and someone else like at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. Like it was a thing. Um, they, they were actually, they were kidnapped at one point. Yeah. Memory serves. Um, I can't remember the whole details of that story, but the neat thing about it though, is it, when they started it, it was in international waters. Mm-hmm. So they had a claim to it, you know, but, but since then England extended their international waters their own law. They, they, they passed their own law to extend their international boundary to encompass it so that they had a claim to it. Right. And the way I, I remember reading this guy, he more or less said that the major problem is this was illegally built in the first place, but it was wartime. And so no one kind of said, yeah, sure, go ahead and build some but random. But it was abandoned. Right. It was abandoned. Yeah. Later it was abandoned. Uh, but the, his point was, Initially, it wasn't a legal thing. It wasn't like part of the country. So it was just sort of this. Because it was international waters. Because it was international waters. And now abandoned, it falls under this sort of weird. The maritime. Yeah, it's a, it's a gray area of the law. And and frankly, I actually kind of agree that in that situation, it, it is a bit finders keepers. You know, in the same way, if you are in the middle of the water and you see a boat that's completely abandoned with no markings on it, that's your boat now for all intents and purposes. Right. Um, 
Obviously, if there's someone's name on it, it's a little bit different story. But in this case, if it's intentionally abandoned as opposed to accidentally abandoned, that's a that's a different story. Um, but he claimed something called just gentum law of nations and terra nullis. It's nobody nobody's land, right? Uh, which I thought was an interesting, again, gray area of the law where you know it is international waters. It is a permanent structure. It is designed to weather the the seas there which can Mm -hmm. be quite violent um why not let him have it i guess um right uh and there's some interesting case law about this he actually took it they took him to court i guess he went back to the the mainland and uh, well they didn't live there all the time yeah of course not of course but he went back to the mainland at one point and uh they arrested him on i i guess I don't know, trespassing? I'm not exactly sure. I feel like it was piracy. It might have been piracy. I don't know. Probably a handful of different charges. Um, Maybe terrorism because he was shooting at them at one point. No. (laughs) All kinds of things. Who knows? I I feel like it was some kind of piracy charge. No, that makes sense. But uh, he ended up beating the case um, and it it was more or less dropped. But by virtue of it being dropped, he said, well, I think I've just proven that I own this. I think I've proven that I'm a micronation that's a real country now. Yeah. It's a. It's actually a little hard to say he's wrong. You know, <laughs> like they did kind of let him have it at that point. Well, yeah, and I and I think that's kind of the basis for you know claiming that Ladonia was independent was it, we, they fought and fought and fought and fought until finally they went fine, whatever, and they just started to ignore him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he says, "Look, we're still here, mine now." Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> so. I first became aware of them in the 2000 time frame ish mm-hmm. uh, because of a a new company called Haven Co. Which oh, was, they were going to put the the servers in their mm-hmm. in the columns. Yeah, so they the why whole, didn't they do that? Well, they did. Uh, they actually got it up and running. Um, it just was not a very good business model. Um, turns out that having cloud computing back in those days was not the same as we have today. Well, yeah, they they could have cut the cable to it. Uh, it did have a satellite link, but which is very, very latent, oh, yes, um, especially awful. back in those days. Um, yeah. Really, really bad. Um, like multi-second latency kind of thing. And so for anything that you'd want to do other than storage of long-term archival of data or something, it just wasn't a very great option. So yeah. anyone who was seriously running a business would not consider that. And And if you're really worried about the British government not being able to do something to it. Well, it turns out the British government can do everything they want for the most part. I mean, they just drop a bomb on it and you're done. Right. Uh, So really the only thing it seemed to be good for is things like child pornography and like other kind of terrible things and who wants their name on that. And so uh, it just, I don't think it ended up being a very good business model. And also it's very uh, difficult to get to. So, Anyone who wants to check the integrity of the servers and make sure they're configured the way they expect them to, you know, good luck getting out there. <laughs> and so there's a lot of a lot of things that yeah. just made that kind of not so great. But we were talking to them because uh, we had a business model at one point that was a awful lot like PayPal, and then we shifted it much later. Um, uh, we probably should have done that business model. I probably would be a very wealthy man at the moment. But uh, the other model we came up with was closer to a fully anonymous bank. Um, but we realized again, very similar problems. The only customers you're going to get are child pornographers and drug dealers and terrorists. So it did not seem like a particularly great business model after we got down the, the technical aspects of it were, were more or less solved, but the, the business model again was, uh, not so great. 
That seems to be a recurring theme with pretty much any idea <laughs> that uh, that gets explored. Is it always like, well, who's going to exploit this? Yeah. Really bad people are going to mm-hmm. exploit this. I mean, there's no way to know for sure, but it it gives a awful lot of abilities to some very bad people. <clears throat> now we have things like you know cryptocurrencies, so we have the same ways to do all that sort of anonymous banking stuff that we were thinking about before only like a hundred times worse because now it's on a blockchain that anyone can look at. So, um, but it was an interesting concept. So that's how I first started talking to those people and they loved the idea. Of Mm -hmm. course, you know, we, we got pretty far in the process of talking to them, but, um, it never, never ended up going anywhere. I suspect that that's true of a lot of micronations as you get approached by a lot of people who have kind of somewhat harebrained ideas that, well, right now it's a lot of cryptocurrency people. Um, like if I had a nickel for every time I, I was approached by someone wanting to make a coin, I could buy a really fancy sugar-loaded frappuccino. Um, everyone everyone looks at it as an opportunity to make money. And it's, it you know, you have to kind of suss out who is, who's got a reasonable approach and who is just kind of a crackpot. Um, and there's a lot of crackpots out there. It also seems like other countries might be able to leverage a micronation to kind of deflect their finances. Like we would prefer if you took the brunt of these deals on our behalf or whatever, and you might be able to creatively come up with ways to get them on your side. A lot of nation building is about I don't know, backroom agreements effect- effectively. I'm sure a- it is because like I said, it all seems really arbitrary. So it's, mm-hmm. it's what can you do for the guys that can give you legitimacy? Mm-hmm. I know that there's also some nations in the South Pacific that are starting to get underwater. And yeah, like they're, Tuvalu, I think is yeah, one of them that's sinking. Uh, those types of nations might also be looking for outstretched hands and, you know, friends um, all over the globe. So Well, they're looking for places to go. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, most micronations don't have places that they can allow people to go. Well, that was going to be one of my questions. What, what about buying more land? Definitely is something that is in, we're hoping we can do at some point. There's um, a big discussion about where that land would be. It's almost impossible to put it within the, the, the United States because the United States is <laughs> disinclined to to make accommodations for that. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's one thing if it's a joke, it's another thing if they think you're serious about something because they'll swoop in. Like if you start minting your own coins, you're like, oh no, it's just for fun. It's all fun and games until they decide it's not, and then they come and they take everything. And when they take stuff, they take everything, and then you may not get it back. Um, so where, where would we buy the land? Um, we have looked at like abandoned villages in Italy. We've looked at abandoned villages in France. Uh, then there's the, how do we raise the money for it? I did, um, establish a not-for-profit foundation, uh, in the United States so that we could handle donations because prior to Lars passing, you know, everything was just kind of done sort of haphazardly. And when I started looking at, you know, there, there's people that want to make donations. I don't want those size of 
donations running through my personal bank account because I don't want to be responsible for the taxes on it. I don't want people to think that I'm that this is like some sort of scam or a money-making venture for me. I want to keep all of the finances separate in in, a, in an official fund with its own bank account so that we can show everyone what we're doing with the money. And I, I don't want to get accused of using this from for my own benefit because I assure you this is not for my own benefit. People think I'm nuts. You know, it's it's an adventure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we've looked at... we've. We would very much like the opportunity to buy some land. <clears throat> so it's not a matter of not wanting to. You just haven't found the location. We haven't found the location. And only recently, like within the last year, year and a half, have we had the the not-for-profit, um, the, the, the banking structure uh, to, to put the money, keep the money segregated from my personal finances and from everyone else's personal finances. Though if some rich guy would like to buy us the land and just gift it to us, that would be super cool too. And I won't say no. Mm-hmm. Maybe there'll be a duke to minute for that. <laughs> so uh, another one that I saw that I thought was pretty, pretty funny and worth mentioning was that in 1964, Ernest Hemingway's brother created this raft. Are you familiar with this one? Rose Island. <clears throat> it was a, Eight, eight by 30 foot bamboo raft that he called Republic of New Atlantis. Oh, that one. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. And the, the way he, the way he dealt with this, I thought was actually pretty clever. Um, he put a bunch of scraps on one side of his country, like food scraps or whatever. And what happened is various different um, bats would land and eat the, whatever food he left there, I guess, fruit bats. And, defecate on it and when they did that uh they created what is called guano and there is an act called the 1856 guano island act um which effectively says that if you if you as an american citizen find a place that has guano on it an island that has guano on it you can claim as part of territorial united states because it's very important for their war efforts because it turns out guano is one of the primary ingredients in saltpeter which is part of how they used to make gunpowder and uh, saltpeter and sugar, effectively. <clears throat> and uh, so his thinking was one half of the island is is my country and the other half has been gifted to the United States. So now the United States ha- is expected to protect my country, right? Uh, I mean, th- these are these are the kind of crazy loopholes people have to go through in order to create these. I mean, I suspect this was entirely just for fun and, and him joking around. But... Uh, it was the kind of thing, that kind of creative thinking out of the box thinking that I think can get you part of the way there. I think everything is getting you part of the way there. And, and it's only the grace of God that, you know, gets you the rest of the way you have to, you have to have somebody, somebody bigger willing to, you know, to help you along or to acknowledge you. Um, There's, there's lots of, there's lots of, macro nations that you might think are UN recognized that aren't. I think Montenegro is still not UN recognized. Kosovo is still not recognized by everyone. There are, Palestine isn't, um, isn't, isn't a member of the UN. I think they only recently got observer status. Monaco wasn't a UN member until the early mid nineties. So, you know, you can be a country without UN recognition. Um, 
but you have to get an, you have to get enough people to treat you like you're legitimate to be legitimate. It's really all about perception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in the end, these are all rules made by people, right? They're all <clears throat> arbitrary. Mm-hmm. They are all arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, Ernest Hemingway, his brother, uh, apparently is, does not know his history very well because. Uh, like almost everything that lives in that region for any length of time, it was hit by a hurricane and destroyed. But it was an interesting experiment, I thought. Yeah. <clears throat> there, so Rose Island was another one. Uh, I think Netflix just did a documentary about it, but it was uh, off the coast of Italy, and it was a stationary platform. But it was it was kind of it was kind of made out of like wood and stuff. It was like a shack, an elevated shack. But the Italian government blew it up. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's always one of oh and there was a guy who was going to who declared himself sovereign this is recently off the coast of thailand i think and he got arrested for sedition mm, i've not heard that one yeah it, it's there's a lot of micronations oh my gosh yeah it's hard to keep track of them all it is <clears throat> you know terra nullis you were talking about that um beer to well is kind of between Sudan and uh, Egypt. And it's, I believe, the only confirmed piece of, of no man's land left on Earth. So lots of micronations claim it. Um, but you can't, you can't just claim it and start, and start a country there because there's people that live there. It's in the desert. You got to go through Egypt to get there. It's how do you just go claim something where you don't live or you've never been. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, I think one of the, one of the issues with people running around claiming land and saying that it's, you know, a new country. It's like, have you ever even been there? Have you planted your flag? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Do you have a flag for that matter? Oh, they all do. Oh, they all have flags. Oh, every one of them. Oh, the, the first thing they do, the every 12 year old, <laughs> first thing they do is they get out a piece of paper and they draw a flag. That's, <laughs> They've all got the flags. There's entire subreddits of micronational flags. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Hey, could you tell us about your flag? I noticed that uh, the you're wearing a green pin. Can I you am. explain that? Okay, so there's two stories, and I will tell you both of them. The first story is that the original story, because the whole because declaring sovereignty kind of came out of. Uh, a fight with Sweden, they boiled the Swedish flag until the colors ran together as an act of defiance. That's why it's all green. So it's it's a green cross on a green field because yellow and blue make green. Interesting. So um, that's a little aggressive. So now, so now the story is that the written history <laughs> because because we're so environmentally conscious, uh-huh. we didn't want to have to make new flags, so we just repurposed old Swedish flags by boiling them until the colors ran together. Uh-huh. Depends on if you're at war with them or not, I guess. Right? <laughs> that you can tell either story. Yeah, <laughs> I like the first one. I'll be honest. I I enjoy being led into the country. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, actually, have you had any been hassled at all at the airports? No, nope. they they do not care at all. Wow, I'd be I'm a little surprised by that. So, uh, Minerva is another one that I. This story is probably the one that captured my mind the most out of all of the stories, probably mostly because the visuals. But there's this guy Moses Olitsky, he's a Lithuanian-born man 
who ended up becoming quite wealthy, um, if memory serves, and made a bunch of money in the stock market. But before that, um, his family um, basically were all killed um, in World War II. And so in, in concentration camps, he was liberated and uh, went to the United States. And I think he was very disillusioned by both the authoritarian regimes, but also what he saw as what the left was going to do someday, and they were going to do the same thing. He, he thought of them as the stormtroopers. They're, the right's bad, yes, but the, the left has their stormtrooper tactics. So he was uh, adamantly anti-left. <clears throat> so he ended up finding that there was this atoll um, off the coast of Tongo, I think. Is that Sounds right. right. I think so. Um, and uh, Tonga. 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 Yeah. I said Tongo. Um, I knew it didn't sound right in my head. <clears throat> and he basically said, well, this little chunk of this atoll, like no one's using this thing. It's not near really anything. Why don't I just build a country here? If only that would work. <laughs> so he started, he brought a bunch of like earth diggers up and put a whole bunch of sand on top of the of the the very kind of low lying um, kelp uh, seabed or there whatever the um, uh, the uh, I don't know what it would be called the uh, the it's atoll. like a reef yeah yeah there you go that's the what I was looking for so the reef was like maybe a foot off the ocean mm-hmm. floor and so he built it up so he could actually have some structures there or whatever and so him and a bunch of his friends were out there and they're like yay they planted the flag as you said he had a flag. And then they left because there's nothing to do on this island. So you know, they don't live there. You know, that's just where they're planting their flag. And so at some point, somebody saw this happen. Or, you know, someone came by and were like, hey, what's going on? Uh, and they told the Tongan, um, you know, minister or whatever, the president of Tonga. And apparently he was not impressed. And uh, <laughs> and they, they sent... A and boat the, down. They sent the military. They sent the military down with guns, with, gun, with actual guns, uh, real real guns, and um, and they they tore the whole thing down. And so they came back, I think, one more time and tried to you know have a last stand there. And they had a shotgun or something. And then the Tonga showed up again with actual guns again and said, "You know, get get out of here." Yeah. Uh, and so that was the end of it. And the there's a couple of things I thought were notable about that one. One is one of the things they said about why it failed. They're like, we just didn't have enough people who were willing to defend our country. If we had had more soldiers on the ground, we wouldn't have been able to hold this territory. Yeah. I, I think there is unfortunately something to that. If they had had a thousand armed men and a couple of ships, warships or whatever, they could have quite easily held that ground from Tonga anyway. I think that's what disappoints me the most about everything that I've been reading is that the only way it seems that you can start a new country is through force. Like there has to be a revolution. There has to be bloodshed. Why does it have to be like that? Haven't we as a species evolved past that? And I guess the answer is no, because I I cannot find an example of a new country that has been created that wasn't created out of some kind of civil war or armed bloody conflict. I have a feeling when space becomes more accessible, you might see some more of that kind of thing happen. You know, this is, we're going to create a new country on this rock that I just found in the middle of nowhere. Um, But for the foreseeable future, we're here, we're, we're earth locked. Yeah. I I, I even think when, when space becomes more open the big countries, you know, the U.S. and China, especially, and Russia, maybe, 
are going to be like, nope, that's ours. Nope, that's ours. Nice try, but we're going to take that. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. I have a feeling they'll have trouble holding it, though. You know, it's easy to get like one ship there. It's hard to get you know a fleet of ships to go you know yeah. attack things in different distant parts of the galaxy or whatever. Maybe it'll be like the Wild West, you yeah. know, or, or the Gold Rush when you can go out and just you know stake your claim and and it and it's yours. But I, even with that, you know, um, I know this is obviously way pie in the sky and way out there, oh, but. Everything. But 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 I think there is something to this is all laying the groundwork for what happens in the future. So let's say I I can go to a planet that no one's ever knew even existed before. Why wouldn't I be able to do all that? Who is going to stop me? Because at that point, it really does come down to, yeah, we'll show up with your gun. Who you and what army is going to stop me from starting this country? Well, that's just it. You, you it's yours until somebody with bigger guns shows up and takes it away from you. Right. Yes. And so. I think that is actually the answer to your question about how to get legitimacy is, is, uh, is unfortunately a I show really, of force. I know. I, I wish. Diplomacy I, and a show of force. I, I desperately, can, desperately want there to be a way to do it without force. I mean, I'd love to be wrong, but I don't see, I don't think you are. Let's see how that would work exactly. So. Um, but the second you start arming, the second, the second there's any hint of that. Some government's going to swoop in on you, declare you a terrorist, and, you know, then you disappear mm-hmm. and they lose the key. So That just meant you needed more guns. You need to get them faster, I guess. Yeah. Not that I would ever do that because that would be wrong. <laughs> uh, I love story. So one of the reasons I love this is because to me, this feels academic, but but still close to home. Like, obviously, I'm not going to start any micronations in the near future. Don't worry, I'm not going to become a competitor. Uh, but I do find it extremely interesting to see all the caveats and all the things you have to worry about in in the construction of a country. And well, that that's why I thought it was interesting. Like, like stamps, like you have to have stamps, otherwise, how are you going to get mailed to places? Like, how does that work if you can't if your stamp isn't recognized? Passports, you know, there's all kinds of things. The passport thing is interesting, and there's people very much want us to issue issue passports and issue ID cards and things like that. And I've been very reluctant to do so because anytime we issue something, we find it counterfeited on like Alibaba. And we don't want anyone. My biggest fear is that someone is going to buy a counterfeit passport and pay thousands of dollars for it from some unscrupulous person, then try to use it at a border and get arrested. A, I would feel really bad. B, they must have been desperate to to go to that length and then see if some government wants to come after someone they're going to come after the person they can find and i'm probably the easiest person to find sure so i don't want to be responsible for it but also i feel very bad that people would have been duped and taken in that being said i did all the research on how you come up with the codes and how you do the designs and what's required to there's actually companies that service that make the passports and make the currency and all this other stuff for like the little banana republics um so those are companies you can go to to say hey my country would like you to make passports for us and they say okay and then they send you a bill so i mean it's all stuff that can be done the question is can you do it for a reasonable amount of money without bankrupting yourself. And then what's the point really going to be if nobody recognizes it or acknowledges it? Mm-hmm. Like, I think you could, I think there's some countries that would be cool with it, but well, they, there, there are some, so there's, the, uh, have you heard of camouflage passports? Yeah. So I think that would be an example of one place that you could, 
it doesn't work in the United States. Obviously, I'm not allowed to have a camouflage um, uh, passport in the United States. Uh, just not legal. But um, let's say I was the in some other country, I don't know, Mexico or something where it probably is legal. I'm assuming. I have no idea. Um, is it legal or is it just not illegal? Um, well, for the purposes of, of this, I think that's fine either way. Because what's really happening is if... I'm in Mexico and some bad thing's going down and someone says, oh, let me see your passport. And you hand them a passport of Ladonia. Yeah. It's a very different thing than if I hand them a passport of the United States. Like, oh, I don't know what that is. Okay, well, whatever, fine. You're not who I'm after. You're not the target. Um, and so there is a point to doing it. And I'm certain that a cohort of people would be interested in it. Um, knowing full well that being caught using it in a context for which it is not going to be accepted, you know, that is up to you to get arrested. That is not up to the Ladonian government to bail you out. I would sincerely hope hope that to be the case. <laughs> That's sort of a best judgment sort of situation. But if they... Oh, I was just going to say, funny, I, I don't know if we talked, we didn't talk about our holidays yet, but we have a holiday that's called Stealing Day. And every time we celebrate stealing, we always say, celebrate strategically. Remember, <laughs> we're not going to bail you out. <laughs> what do people steal out of curiosity? Uh, it depends. Uh, lots of it, It's right after Christmas. So theoretically, it, it's a lot of Christmas presents that you wanted and didn't get. Mm. Um, I usually use pictures of like raccoons stealing cookies off of plates. Mm. Um, I suggest to people that they steal kisses mm. or steal time or oh. steal a nap. Mm -hmm. Um but I can't be held responsible if someone decides to do something else. I see. I see. But you are advocating stealing, <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> that is the name of the a, holiday. <laughs> could be taken anyway. The day after that is the day of throwing things at each other, usually beer cans. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I see. Um, we won't pay your hospital bill either. So... In the case of camouflage passports here, sorry, Donna Walker um, claims to have come up with the concept, although I kind of suspect it happened before that. But um, she said that it was used uh, by oil executives in Iraq to flee Jordan, as an example. So I think there is a use case for it. And 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 to a large ex extent, you said you, you don't like it when people use uh, Ladonian citizenship to start up a... Um, a paper trail, as an example, um, I, for I, false identities, I'm assuming is what you mean by that. False identities. We, we've had a couple people where it was clear that they had just just recently been released from jail um, for kind of serious felonies. And I was really uncomfortable with <laughs> with with providing them with documentation that had a different name on it so that they could hide from from background checks. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. But also, uh, someone in my position, I often have to create sort of, I wouldn't call it exactly fake identities because they're not they're not backstopped by actual ID. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, fake email addresses and, you know, fake websites and that kind of thing for the purpose of doing investigations and, and talking to people without them knowing who I actually am. Uh, so in that context, it's actually quite useful to have another backstop identity that's it, it's fully backstopped in a real location that people can say, yeah, that's a real person. We don't. So we have gotten, we get a lot of applications from um, people that are trans that are looking for an identity that is in their preferred gender. And I don't have an issue with that. I have an issue. I, I, I really 
the ones that I, I kick back are the ones where it's clear it was someone who committed a pretty gross crime and is trying to keep that off of the radar when they apply for apartments or, or, or things like that. And maybe that's the wrong thing to do. Maybe I'm not being generous enough. Um, oh, I'm not, I'm not here to admonish you. I'm just more saying that these are the edge cases that, uh, that I could see someone wanting it for in a relatively benign circumstance. Well, we're small enough that we, <laughs> you're free to plead your case, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the things that we get bent out of shape about, um, and by we, I mean, largely, I, I look at the ones that get kicked back for, for questions and I, and I make decisions on them. Um, but it's, are they too young? Are they not serious? Or are they, you know, just being grossly fake? I don't know. It, it's, again, it's kind of arbitrary and it's, it's kind of. What, what you've mentioned, uh, not serious a couple of times to me and what you, I know when someone's just like playing a joke. Okay. That's, 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 that's what thing. I mean largely. But, but you've also mentioned that in context of someone starting micronations as well. Um, what's an example of one of those? Um, there are a lot of, there are a lot of kids that are playing around with communism and they're playing around with, um, sometimes they start playing around with, with neo-Nazism. Like they, they start exploring some ideologies that are frowned upon in polite society. And I mean, clearly they don't want their real names associated with it. Clearly they, this is something that they're just kind of using as an academic exercise. And, those are those are things that I I personally try to discourage. So when I'm approached by by those kids, hey, can you recognize us? And it's like, no, no, no. I I think your mother would be upset if she knew you were doing this. Like, no, no, you're awful. You're you're a bad person. Um, yeah. It. And then there's some people that are just you know into the LARP. It's. You can LARP all you want, but I'm, I'm over here. I'm going to try to do some stuff mm. and I don't want to be bothered with, with your LARP. Mm-hmm. LARP's a dirty word. It is. So, um, one of the problems with these camouflage passports and I think people who are trying to take it seriously, um, is in at least one case, they actually used a real country's name, maybe mm-hmm. not even realizing that that was the case. Um, but, or it was a real country sort of, it was Rhodesia, which was part of Zimbabwe, um, or now is Zimbabwe. Although the Rhodesians would say that it is indeed still their land. Um, it just has been claimed by Zimbabwe. So they said that any citizen anywhere in the world who wants to become a Rhodesian citizen, sure, go ahead. They're like, they kind of embraced it as opposed to saying, don't do this. They Mm -hmm. said, you know what? We see there's a need for this. We actually we understand that people might be in a situation where they're worried about, um, you mentioned transgender. If there's something you're fleeing, for instance, and you want to become a member of our country, we embrace that. Um, so they actually had a, a simple application process on their website. Um, I think it's called Rhodesian-government.org or something. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, where you could go and you could actually type in this information and become a citizen um, right there. It was a class S citizen, whatever that means. Um, and they they battled they were in a weird situation where they were battling um becoming a real country by virtue of the fact that there was a um a sort of decree from the UK it was called a nib 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 mar 
N-I-B-M-A-R, uh, which is um, some trans-global, no independence before majority rule, trans-global uh, decision. They said that if you want to... Um, you want to be a country, you have to have the local population and your primary government kind of intermixed. Otherwise, we're not going to accept you as a real country. I know that if you're a Commonwealth nation, you can have a local, you can vote yourselves out of the Commonwealth, mm. you know, your local population. And one of the things that kind of occurred to me was the population of Pitcairn Island is aging to the point that they're going to like eventually die out because they don't have enough young people there. And I'm like, you know, we could show up with a small force of like 50 and just bags of whatever drugs old people like. And I bet we could get them to, to vote themselves out of the Commonwealth and, and vote us into power. And then boom, we've got inhabitable land. But yeah. the downside is it's Pitcairn Island and it's a million miles from anything useful. Well, but it gets you statehood. But it would get a statehood. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it's worthwhile then. And could you hire 50 interns to go do it for you? <laughs> I bet I could. I, I honestly, I, I could, I have, I have thousands of people just in our, in our English speaking Facebook group. We could get people. Sure. Sure. You sure. No. Are they, are they qualified soldiers? No. But if everybody's over 60 where we're going, <laughs> you know, how hard does it have to be? Well, in the case of Rhodesia, and I think maybe you're in the similar-ish boat, they say they are not necessarily a nation in the traditional sense. They are mm-hmm. a transnational uh, or a trans-global country, which to them means we have people everywhere. We have them mm-hmm. all over the, the globe, and every place they are is part of our country. It doesn't mean that the land is ours, but it means our, our, people, our people are there, and therefore our country is there. And while we may not have any land in the traditional sense of that you might be thinking of, we are actually everywhere. And so they're becoming more of a virtual country than a country, if, if that makes sense. That really sounds a lot like what we have going on because no one lives in Ladonia. Every, all of our citizens, we, we call them nomadic. So they all live wherever it is they're going to live and no one gets to move to Ladonia. They, they get to be a citizen. They get to participate in our elections. They get to create a ministry if that's what they want to do. You know, it, there, there's all these things that they can do, but they just have to stay put. Mm -hmm. So it does sound very similar. It is very similar. And they seem relatively established by virtue of the fact that they were uh, again, trying for statehood and they really were just turned down kind of on a technicality. Not really, not really. If it had just been slightly different circumstances, they probably would have been, there would have been the country of Rhodesia. Are they still around? I can call them. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure they are still around. Although their website was down when I last checked, but oh. that doesn't mean anything. No. Um, okay. And so the other one that I thought was worth talking about um, with regard with passports was the NSK state. Yes, I met them. You've met them. I'm, I met them at, they were at Polynesian 2012 in uh-huh. London uh-huh. and they gave a talk about what they did. And there were people that used their credentials to flee the, the war. Yeah. Um, you'll have to remind me where it was. It was in Sarajevo. That's right. Um, during the, the Balkans, collapse. Right. Um, yeah. During the collapse of uh, Soviet Union. So I guess that was 95. Um, and that was a very interesting case because they were basically an art project. They were basically a music band, a pretty famous band, actually. Mm-hmm. Leibach is a pretty well-known band. Plus, they were a kind of an art collective. And they just printed these passports as sort of a kind of a half a joke. And, you know, not like fully joking, but kind of half joking. 
and, um, and gave them out to people at their shows or whatever, you know, people could buy them like online. Maybe I'm not exactly sure. Cause this was back before things were very popular online. So it must've been mostly in person, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and occasionally they got in the hands of people who actually needed them for some reason and they used them to flee. And back then during the fall of the USSR, it actually made sense because no one really knew what the country names were. So they're like, Oh, I belong to whatever this country was. And yeah. people are like, Oh, it's, I guess that's one of the new countries because no one knew because there's so many of them. Yeah. Just another one of the stands that popped up or whatever. Um, yeah. They came, they came to pollination and there was a, um, a group from Dresden that when Germany reunited, um, these people were all really disaffected because the, the housing prices went up, um, just ridiculously. And they had, they have a block of houses that they've, and, and it's like an anarchist commune. They have no no real leader and they all vote on things. Everything is like super democratic. There is no leader. Um, but they they have a music festival every year and they they come to our Micronation events. I wish I could remember the exact name of it, but they're in Dresden. Hmm. Um, so they, yeah, there, there are examples of people making a go of things. Freetown Christiana is another kind of anarchist commune that's in uh, Copenhagen. And they had a, like a black market for, for drugs and weed and stuff. And they, so I, I believe that they're on an old, it was in like an old army base, but it was all in, it was surrounded and the cops basically like let them do whatever it is they're going to do as long as they stay in their, stay in their little area and it is really, I've been there. It's, it's neat. It, it's, it's like squatters and they have businesses and people are, just, it's, it's very hippie like mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's hard to describe, but they've been sort of allowed to just be there and they're right in the center of Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that the last I heard there were developments that were starting to encroach and the government's starting to get like, well, you know, that real estate's really <laughs> valuable. Maybe you could go away. Mm-hmm. So. As is, as is the way progress. Yeah. Interesting stuff. So I want to talk a little bit about um, what I think is a, a very minor step between what would be referred to as a normal citizen and a micronation uh, founder, which is the sovereign, um, sovereign citizen movement. Um, which is, is, is deemed by the, the FBI to be more of a terrorist organ group. Which um, is really interesting. We have a ton of sovereign citizens that have applied for citizenship. Mm-hmm. And my experience has not been that they're looking to, they're looking to, to live only by their own laws. Why would you, why would you want to become a citizen of somewhere else? if you were looking to be like an anarchist or, or a country unto yourself, why wouldn't you just declare yourself a country unto yourself? Right. So I'm, what were you going to ask? But, but like, I have so much to say. Well, that, that is sort of the heart of what I was going to ask. So, I mean, first of all, what do you think the major difference between the two are? Um, I guess the second question follow on would be, why wouldn't you treat them with as much seriousness as any other um, potential candidate? Because, if the idea is they are disaffected and do not believe that the laws of the country, the U S in this case, um, are, are lawful. And so they want a new, they want a new start without all of the bureaucratic and 
all the set, setup costs and com- complexity with starting a new country, which, as you know, is incredibly onerous. Um, why not allow them in? We we do allow them into Ladonia. Um, I generally don't have a problem with them. They seem like nice people. Um, my my advice to them when I have the opportunity to speak with them is please, please get a real license plate on your car. Please pay your taxes. You live in the United States. I understand that you don't think that the laws are lawful. I understand that you disagree with these things, but you live there and you're going to get in trouble. And whatever legal loophole you think you found to get out of paying that speeding ticket or having a driver's license, I assure you that you haven't found one and and you really just kind of need to play ball with them because they're they're going to come down on you. If if you were a, a citizen, let's okay, so let's say you're a citizen of Mexico because I I sat through long story about why I was sitting through court sessions, but I was sitting there and a sovereign citizen came in to defend himself and he he said that the ticket was illegal and he didn't have a driver's license and he didn't need one because of the commercial transportation clause and the such and such federal, whatever it is, didn't apply because he's guaranteed the right to travel and it was a personal conveyance and all this other stuff. And the judge said there was another guy who came in who was actually there on, I think a domestic charge or something, but he was a citizen of Mexico and the judge is like this other guy He's not a citizen of the United States either. He doesn't believe in our laws either, which is fine, but he's still he's still subject to them. And this is a law, and you're still subject. So I don't care if you think you're a sovereign citizen. I don't care if you think you're a citizen of Mars. You're still subject to these laws, and you still have to follow the rules. That's just that's just the way it is. I'm pretty sure if an alien showed up, uh, I don't mean a legal alien. I mean an actual alien. He wouldn't say that. <laughs> that is probably correct, and I'm pretty sure that was hyperbole. But the point is, it, it doesn't matter what you're a citizen of, you're still subject to the laws of, even if you think the law is stupid, it it, it doesn't matter. And I, I, I really desperately don't want any of my citizens, any of my subjects, um, I don't want them to get in trouble. And I, and I, I want them to, I just want everyone to be safe. <laughs> I just want everyone to see, but why would, they, why would they join? Like they, they say that they, they support free speech. They say they support all of the ideals. They're all on board. Why would they willingly offer to become citizens of another country so if they didn't believe in, if, if they didn't like countries? If, if I was trying, well, I don't, I don't necessarily think that those two things are true necessarily. So first of all, they're, they're just, they're anti-government extremists, but not necessarily all governments. They're just, they believe that the United States uh, should have been a common law, not an admiralty law or a maritime law. Um, and there's a bunch of reasons they believe that, but effectively, if that is true, then they're basically saying that all law is illegal law because it is not laws that were made by the United States. It was made by a foreign foreign invader. We are effectively the United States has been invaded, and they're they don't believe that they believe they are sovereign. They think that they're independent of foreign law. However, that doesn't mean that they wouldn't join a country or go somewhere else or do something to uh, become a member of some law that they believed in. <clears throat> so, so in maybe, that sense, maybe that's why they're flocking. Yeah, maybe because if they feel like they're 
more and more laws are encroaching on them and and none of those laws apply to them in the beginning in the first place, they don't believe in any of them, then it would make sense that you might uh, be more attracted to a country with less laws or, you know, more laws that looked and reflected their values. Yeah, I can see that. I, I also know, though, that there's there's things I don't believe in that I do anyway to to get along. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't eat meat on Fridays during Lent because my son is in Catholic school. So to make things better at home, I participate, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I am, I don't know if that sounds bad. Does that sound bad that I'm in favor of just kind of getting along on things that don't have to be, <laughs> it's just not the hill I want to die on. Well, that's why they made you the queen, uh, <laughs> because you could stop these wars from happening before they even start. And the ones that were ongoing can stop those too. Um, so one of the things I've noticed that was kind of interesting uh, out of doing this research was uh, a lot of the sovereign uh, citizens end up suing the states that they belong to, whether California or Texas or wherever, wherever mm-hmm. they're at, Chicago. Um, Chicago's not a state. <clears throat> I don't know why should I said be. that. <laughs> it should be. It's, there's almost, a, almost should be. There, there is a, uh, a separation <laughs> movement in Illinois where they're trying to um, – like cut Chicago out and make it its own state and then make the rest of it be like South Illinois. They, they try to do that with, uh, with San Francisco as well, I believe, or the Silicon Valley area anyway. There, there is a big push to like split California into at least two, if not three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen those proposals, but, um, but one of those things that's kind of interesting is these people, um, end up suing the States or the federal government, but specifically the States are where it's most interesting. And uh, they end up doing it more than once. They did it like 50 times, they 100 become, times. Yeah, I, th- I think they become nuisances. <clears throat> right. And they, they end up creating this, uh, there's this weird carve out in the law where you're doing, you're, it's vexatious lawsuits and you get on this list, which I actually found this list. I was surprised I was able to find it so easily, uh, which is kind of like a, please don't do business with any of these people list because <laughs> you know, they're incredibly, incredibly litigious. Um, but uh, it was, I, it was uh, in California's case, I think it was 64 pages and they've only been had this list for a couple of years. So I think it's in 2019 or something. And, um, uh, 64 pages of fine print. Um, and this, I mean, apparently there's a lot of people doing this. And, there are uh, a lot. I mean, there's entire, have you, have you got into the sovereign citizen section of the web? Uh, I don't hang out there, but I, you know, I, I visit lots of places. It exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, they're very serious. And I, I think their numbers are growing because there are a lot of disaffected people. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it all falls under this class of uh, what's called pseudo law as opposed to um, adjudicated law. Um, and, the problem with that pseudo law is you will end up in jail. You will get fined out of existence or end up in jail. It's not, it's designed to protect itself. The mm -hmm. law, the law is so as much as I wish that you could by force of will or, or, or force of logic undo some of, some of those laws that you disagree with. I, I think your likelihood of, of succeeding is, Perilously thin. <laughs> maybe, maybe never zero, but <laughs> I mean, I'm sure occasionally somebody will 
have incredibly good logic and be sway the judge in one direction or another. But that I just don't think it's worth it. Um, I, I think it ultimately creates more problems for you than it solves. Just, and just pay your ticket and go and on. And then you end up on a list. Mm-hmm, you do. And then you're getting strip searched at the airport and it's no fun. Yeah. I have friends getting that anyway. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, those guys are about as close as it gets to sovereign citizens too. So maybe they deserve it. <laughs> but uh, so let's talk about microstates versus micronations. Um, so the microstate is, is effectively an actual recognized functioning state that is teeny tiny versus a micronation, which is, you know, purportedly self-declared. Mm-hmm. I would just like to add the caveat. I did not declare Ladonia sovereigns. Therefore, the whole self-declared thing prickles me a little bit oh interesting um well i didn't i i wasn't no, the I founder know. it's uh that's actually very interesting um and i know others have abdicated uh their throne in one point or another um i forget the name of the micronation up uh in i think it was northern australia hot uh, river yeah hot river thank you he died um the, but, he, but before he died he abdicated it to his son i don't think so i think his son inherited when the father, when Leonard uh, passed away. Oh, maybe. And then the son went, and then Australia came down on him like the fiery fist of God because they'd been waiting for the, the old man to die and they wanted back taxes. And he just went, I can't keep fighting you. Just we'll sell everything, take your money, just leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what happened to it. It's very sad because it, very few micronations outlive their founders. So Sealand has outlived, um, I don't remember what the first prince's name was. Prince Michael is the one heading it up now. I do not remember. I don't remember. Patty. His name was Patty. Um, and I think that's short for Patrick. Um, and then Ladonia is, is still an ongoing interest, and I, I fully intend to keep it going. Um, but most of them, you know, when the founder... Founder goes, so does it. So does the will to to keep fighting. Mm-hmm. Well, it kind of makes sense. Usually, the the first person who started it was the spirit of the thing. When yeah. spirit's gone, it's hard to keep going. Now, the, the self proclaimed thing, though, I, I am constantly referenced, especially in print, as the self proclaimed queen of Ladonia. Not self proclaimed. That's a libel suit right there. I was I was elected. <laughs> a, I was elected by, and there was a vote. I am by the will of the people and the grace of God, mm-hmm. Queen of Ladonia. Interesting. So, I, hey, I, I have a quick question. Sorry to interrupt, but um, how many citizens do you have? Um, on the books, we have over twenty eight thousand. So we're rapidly approaching Monaco level citizenry. That's fantastic. Thank right? You. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of, so Monaco is... Uh, a microstate. Yeah, it's a microstate. Uh-huh. Uh, 39,000-ish. Um, and it's 0.78 square miles. Vatican City has... I've heard all kinds of numbers, so it's a little hard to know, but I've heard the most credible number I saw was 439, but I've seen as high as 1,000, so I don't really know. Uh, residents as of 2019 and 0.19 square miles. Mm-hmm. And Ladonia is, tw- as your most current estimate, is 28,000 members. Uh, last one I had was 2019, was 22,000. So you've gone quite a bit since then. Yeah. And 0.39 square miles. So you're actually kind of right between Vatican and Monaco, like right between the two. 
Dude, I'm telling you. Um, it could be a thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it by by things like landmass and population, I think, you know, if the those... Problem, the problem is we don't have resident population. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the kicker right now. If I had 28,000 people living in that, in that cramped little little slice of um, the side of the mountain, that would be cramped. And, you know, it would be a force to be reckoned with, certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, so that kind of brings me to my sort of last set of questions here. I mean, what, what, what's next? I mean, what do you, what do you do? It sounds like you really need land. You need soldiers, you need land, you need money. Like you need all the kind of the foundational stuff that gets a country going. Land. I think if we started with land, um, other things could fall into place quickly. Um, but you know, the question is where do you get land that people would be willing to live on? You have, most of us are going to have to keep our regular jobs to, to support things because we don't have an economy really set up. So anywhere, anywhere I got land, I could live there almost all of the time. However, I would need internet access because I have to do my gerb Mm -hmm. and I need to do my gerb. So I have income, uh, and I assume everyone else is going to be in the same boat. Do we get land? You know, if you're landlocked, then you have a problem with you're an enclave or an, you're surrounded by another country. So any anyone that wants to come there is going to have to come through another country. So do we look for a place that's on the water? Where can we go where the government's not 100% likely to fight back? You know, it's... It, and then once you start getting big, big and successful, some government entity is going to want to come in and take things. They're going to want their taxes. They're going to want. What about that nation that's about to go into the water and say, hey, can we have some of your islands that are no longer going to be livable anyway? That's a thought. It is kind of out in little remote. <laughs> Very remote, but and prone to be underwater. But um, I mean, it feels like there's some ways you could work something with these more imperiled nations that um, are on their last handful of dollars and their land is falling into the ocean. To be honest, I haven't, I haven't gotten to serious parts of that yet. I mean, Lars just died in October of 2022 or 2021, 21. Yeah. Um, that, that whole time was, was a mess. Um, we're fight. We've got a fight going on right now for control of. It's not really a fight. Um, the his will did not leave Ladonia or Nimis to anyone specifically. It was explicitly not mentioned in the will. But his surviving girlfriend um, and the estate believe that Ladonia is an artwork, a finite artwork that falls within the copyright that was inherited by the estate so there is a bit of a a disagreement over over who controls that so I've been kind of dealing with with that and keeping things running um for the past year but I think we're we're getting close to the other side of that and I'm looking forward to to definitely seeing how much further we can we can push things um so I'm totally open to reaching out to to other governments. I think I just wanted to make sure that I had a secure footing, um, you know, just a, a secure foundation to stand on and that someone wasn't going to come rip the carpet out from under me mm-hmm. before, you know. 
I'm, I know you are probably wildly too small with a million other problems to deal with, but are you worried that this is colonialism or imperialism or anything like that where you are coming into other countries and taking their land and then spreading? Because there's, there's a lot of talk about things like this these days. Yeah, and and that's come up. I, I know that anytime there's we're written about like um, in the in the press in Africa specifically, someone will make a comment about how these are these are white people hobbies and, um, you know, just kind of really horrible things that they say. And and I don't I don't have a good answer for that. It's yeah, we we definitely have the luxury of exploring these ideas. Um, I have no intention of just going in and taking over some country because, uh, or some, taking land away from anyone. That That's a nice thing about Ladonia, the land that we have right now, is it wasn't anyone's land to begin with. Like No one was living there. We didn't displace anyone. We didn't kick down the door and say, hey, this is ours now. I would never want to do that. If, if we bought the land, that's different. People would come because they wanted to come. I desperately do not want to be seen as a, as a, as a colonizer an imperialist maybe uh, <laughs> but um but not a colonizer that that to me implies you know you think you think you're better and smarter than the people that already lived there i would not want to take anything away from someone who already lived there unless like in pitcairn island we coerce them into <laughs> we sweet talk them with drugs <laughs> or or you know chocolates or whatever it is they want into into voting us in but i would want it to be democratic i wouldn't want it to be um you know, drug induced democracy <laughs> I, I i i heard they like their uh their vicodin it's uh, funny old people that is so any any future projects on the horizon for ladonia like we've got a lot of things in the queue so we're hosting the microcon like i said what, in, when and where again uh joliet illinois Right. It's July 1st, but the festivities start uh, June 29th. And can anyone go, or do you have to be part of a micronation? Or? You can come. Anyone can come. Anyone can come. So if you want a white tie and tiara, Saturday night, July 1st, you can sign <laughs> up. We've got a party-only pass. Uh-huh. Um, is there a website for this? Yeah, microcon2023.com. Uh-huh, uh-huh, there is. Yeah. Excellent. So good times. It's going to be fun. Um, yeah, um, Melosi is going to be there there in Nevada. I, you've probably heard of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, West Arctica is going to be there. Um, Flandrensis, I think, is sending, I'm pretty sure they're sending someone. There's a lot of, I think we've got tw- 25 micronations now coming mm. to the to the Chicago event. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to have uh, sporting events, feats of strength, so you can win glory for your nation. Mm-hmm. And we're, there's going to be a bowling tournament. So oh, that sounds fun. It's a good cool. time. Um, so we've got that. Um, we've got, Stamp designs and production pending. We've got coins that are going to be minted. We're thinking about national ID cards, um, postcards, T-shirts, all that good stuff. Um, and we did. T- we were talking to someone about sending up a uh, a nano payload on a shuttle mm-hmm. to the space station for scientific experiments, but that requires a substantial amount of donations. <laughs> so um, I do have the not-for-profit set up. We've applied for a uh, federal 501c3 status that's pending. Um, I, I want to see how far we can make it go. You know, I w- this is all about pushing the boundaries and checking to see, you know, <laughs> 
because everything seems so arbitrary, it seems like we just need to keep going until everyone acknowledges that, yeah, they were real all along. It's cool. Because I feel like that's kind of it. You know, something that's just been around for so long and it's been, it's been that way forever, then everyone's just like, oh yeah, that's legit. You mm-hmm. know, it's not new anymore. It's always been there. Mm-hmm. So Perhaps so. So how do people find you and Ladonia? And, the Ladonia.org uh, uh-huh. or any permutation thereof because I did get all the domains. <laughs> um, we've got a website. Uh, we've got a Wikipedia, several Wikipedia articles. Um, that's the best way to, to go about getting a hold of us. That's also where you can apply for citizenship if you're so inclined or donate for a title of nobility if you are also so inclined. Okay. How much does it cost for citizenship? I citizenship is free. Oh. Yeah, I, I really want to make the the playing field, the the, the what is it the entry bar to entry. Yeah, I haven't eaten all day. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I I want to make I want to make make it easy for anyone to participate. Mm-hmm. So just don't lie on your application. <laughs> I swear, I'm I'm getting tired of people that are lying on their applications. A, a lot of times it's kids, yeah. you know, and it's like, I just found <laughs> there was a kid who applied. From, he was in England, I think. So when we're doing the background check, I found he was on the fourth grade honor roll in 2021. I'm like, you are not 25, my friend. <laughs> he was, well, you don't know that. I'm like, send me a copy, of, you know, a picture of your of your driver's license. Feel free to blot out, you know, yeah. important things. He was, All right, you got me. I'm not 25. <laughs> he was, well, so what do I have to be to to be a citizen? I'm like, you have to be honest. Yep. And I stopped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Try again some other time, friend. <laughs> Love it. Well, Carolyn, it's been wonderful to have you. Thank you so yeah, much. It's been for, fun. Yeah, I don't get to talk about this a lot. So, well, well, I'm glad you came down. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.